0: Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show.
1: Welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you are doing well. This is our fourth episode in our series, The Donation Process from the Lens of the OPO, where we explore how the donation process unfolds within the Oregon Procurement Organization or OPO. The OPO is a central cog to the multifaceted process that is donation and transplantation. In many ways, it starts here because of the initial communications with the hospitals that inform us when a death has occurred, and then when we determine if that patient is suitable for organ and or eye and tissue donation. And then from there, we're speaking with the patient's family to facilitate the actual recovery of the gifts of organs and tissues that are then transported to the transplant centers and tissue processors who are responsible for transplanting those gifts to the thousands of patients in need of the gift of life and the gift of healing. This series is about taking you step-by-step through the OPO realm of this amazing and unique process. So, so far we've spoken to Erica Randall of Donation Support Services, which again is where the process begins. So please check out her episode. Uh, we also spoke with Christianne Wilson, who is a donation coordinator, and then Jen Maylock, who speaks with families on site at hospitals when they have suddenly and tragically lost their loved one. You can check all of these episodes out on lifepasson.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oregon eye and tissue donation is a delicate and collaborative process. Most think donation is solely a hospital function. And while the actual transplant part does happen in the hospital, the actual surgery, the recovery and donation is facilitated by the OPO in strong collaboration with the hospital partner where the patient who is a donor was treated. Donation happens because of community, the hospitals, donor hospitals and transplant centers, the OPOs, sometimes the coroners involved, and then there's the funeral home. But the very beginning of this process is the person who designated themselves to be a donor or their family who made that decision for them to be a donor. This is life-saving and life-changing and that all of these gifts and all of this begins with that yes. I also want to use this time to explain more about us, the OPO, and how we function, so that you can understand the gifts of organ and tissue donation and how they come to be, and everything that's involved in this process. And if someone, if you're listening and you're thinking about a career in healthcare, this is a, a different path to consider in healthcare. It's very rewarding it's very people-focused and very mission-focused. And so with that, we're going to dive in and going to introduce you to Mr. Ethan Fuqua, who is a Organ Recovery Specialist at Life Center. Hello, Ethan, and welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So you are... An Oregon recovery, blah, 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 Oregon recovery Specialist, or we're going to say ORS for the rest of mm-hmm. our time together. Sure. First, tell us a little bit about you and how long have you been here at Life Center? What brought your background? And then we can dive into your role as an ORS.
2: Sure. Well, I've been with Life Center for almost three years now, it'll be three years in September. Um, before working at Life Center, I was uh, employed uh, as an Epic analyst with uh, Mercy Health, now sponsored for Mercy Health. Um, and then before that, I was a nurse's aide at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Okay. Um, and I have a bachelor's degree from UC in psychology with a concentration in biopsychology. And I've always been interested in healthcare. so. I've basically always worked in healthcare. So uh, this was was coming to Life Center and getting this opportunity was something that, that just logically fit in with my career goals, so.
1: Okay. And so in your role as an ORS, mm-hmm. um, and as I kind of teed it up earlier, the family service coordinator works with the family um, to just go through, uh, walk them through the process, of their loved one being a donor. And then at that point, there's a transition where the ORS now becomes a part of this process. So can you talk a bit about what that looks like?
2: Right. So once once we have consent for donation, we begin an allocation process. And that process is, is facilitated by the donation coordinators like Christiane that she's spoken with before. Mm-hmm. After all the organs that can be placed for transplant, are place have, have homes. Mm-hmm. We then move to the OR to begin the recovery, or as one of our transplant surgeons says, the rescue of those organs
1: mm-hmm. for
2: transplantation.
1: Wow. So
2: that is when, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's very, I mean, I loved when she said that because, I mean, it really does. I mean, it really is. We, we are rescuing those organs for, you know, so that the gift of life can be passed on.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so once we get into the OR, that's when my role begins. We arrive to the OR before the patient comes to the OR, before the donor comes to the OR to set up our equipment, to talk with OR staff about what they can expect. What they'll need during the procedure, how many staff they'll need, what type of equipment they'll need, and we set up our equipment, which consists for the the most important part is cannulas that we'll be using for our for our organ flushing. We also set up a series of basins, and we have packaging materials that we that we set up. And we also bring all of our own solutions to the OR for the organ preservation process. Mm -hmm. So once the donor is in the OR, we help with getting them onto the OR table, prepping, draping. And the procedure begins when our surgeon has performed the timeout. And everybody understands why they're in the room, what we're doing. Our donation coordinator speaks about the donor about the gifts that they're giving the the entire process is is very donor centric and respect is given at all all times throughout the process so
1: let's let's pause there, so you said it's it's called a timeout, and so it's like this time where it's like, okay, this is why like you said, this is why we're all here. Mm-hmm. It's a pause to give respect and I I had no idea that that happened.
2: Mm -hmm, Definitely, yes. So I mean, we all we always have a moment of silence. Sometimes the surgeons, when they're scrubbed in over the donor, will join hands together over the donor during that uh, moment of silence uh, period. um, Our surgeons always thank everybody for being part of the process, as do our donation coordinators. So, yes, it's it's very the word maybe regimented would be kind of i guess maybe harsh to say but like well in the sense that it's it's not like you know a military thing or anything like that but there is a very specific set of procedures and yes things that have to happen in order before we can proceed with uh, a donor case
1: right right It's a very kind of strict process
2: right right that's a better word strict
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah wow and so you talked a lot, I mean, you talked about a lot of things. So what comes to mind is a person in this role has to have the ability to multitask and again, kind of understand these, these very these very specific steps that have to happen mm-hmm. because I would imagine that obviously preserving that organ for transplant, you know, rescuing of the organ, mm-hmm. um, there's really not much room for air. No, no,
2: there really isn't. And I mean, it's very time sensitive. Time is of the essence. And if a surgeon needs something and they can't get it, if we need to start flush and we're not prepared to start flush for when we do our cross clamp, which is when the heart is, for our brain dead donors, the heart is stopping at that point surgeons have tied off vessels to kind of keep all the solution that we're going to be putting into the donor Mm. in a specific area. So it's not flooding the whole body, but it's flooding the areas that need to be flushed out specifically. This is, time is of the essence. So, and clots can begin to form in stagnant blood, almost Instantly, but within seconds, you're you're starting to get factors that are coming together inside of blood that are going to cause clots. And these mi- these clots can be super duper small, but you have to understand that those can cause big problems later on. Right when the organ is transplanted into a person, because you have an organ that you know doesn't have huge clots, but it has small clots, but you still can't get blood through it. And right. if the, there's an issue with the blood flow through the organ, you're going to have issues with that transplant. And you're already talking about somebody who is, if somebody needs an organ transplant, they're already sick. So we can't really, there's not a lot of wiggle room for error and Mm -hmm. for factors like that that can cause any more risk than than what is already, you know, what is already happening. Wow. Which is their transplant. Somebody's, you know, we're transplanting an organ into their body. I mean, surgery is a big thing. It's a big assault on the body. So for a sick person, it's even more so.
1: What has been what has been like what's been your biggest aha from from when you began in this role three years ago to not to now about what it is that you do?
2: I think my biggest aha is just how many and you you kind of alluded to this earlier when you said that the OPOs are part of a of a big multifaceted effort. Yes. and I I remember when I was working at children's, this was years ago when, when I was working in the PicU and we would get admissions for oh this is a there's a multibus coming up mm-hmm. or there's a liver transplant kid coming up or you know there was I was actually at children's when they did the first lung transplant.
1: I remember yes. when that happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that was that was really cool. Yes. But you know, we, we got we would we, we would be preparing and setting up for these patients coming up from surgery. And it just never occurred to me all the steps that had to happen in order for this little one to get their gift Mm -hmm. and how complex it is. And it's, it, it just blows me away to think about it. I had no idea that there was this, it's almost like thinking about, you know, if you look at, a little drop of pond water and you just see it as a drop of pond water but then you put it underneath a microscope and you see all the little microbes and little organisms that are in there running about doing all these tasks and roles in this little tiny spot of water that you just didn't even think of but there's so much brewing underneath that yeah. it's just it, it's amazing to me and that that's been something that that has been the biggest revelation to me is just how big and complex this whole Process is,
1: mm. and then to know that you play really a critical part in that.
2: Oh yeah, and that's that's awesome. And I mean, I I love that. I didn't expect that when I first applied. I didn't really think because I didn't have the experience in an OPO, so I wasn't sure. I said, well, let me let me just apply. Just let me see if if I can. You know, maybe I can get an interview. And if I can get an interview, maybe I could sell myself, you know, well enough. And <laughs> I guess I did. So, <laughs> but I mean, I, I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I love, love what I do. I love coming to work. I, with, with ORS and uh, with the uh, donation coordinators and, and family services coordinators, we all work 24 hour shifts. So sometimes those would be really long days and you can get really fried out, but I've never thought to myself, gosh, I I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't like doing this anymore. Even after the longest days, I still think, wow, I actually did something today that was, somebody is going to have a significant increase in their quality of life because of what I was doing today. And that's just, I mean, every time I go into work, I can say that. And it's just, that's so awesome.
1: And you know, I can say, I feel like it's that, that feeling that you get I feel like th- those of us that have been here for a long time, we all have that feeling. Yes. Even after there's, for you, it's you know working those super long shifts and just being dog tired, or you know for me, if it's we just have a lot going on in the community side and mm-hmm. you know whatever that is, but like for me, that's what keeps me coming back every day because you definitely you really feel like wow mm-hmm. you know I, I'm I made an impact. Right. In some way. And I think every department, you know, people feel that And that's it's just such a great mission centric organization.
2: Oh, 100 percent. And I mean, yeah. And like, like you said, I mean, every department, just like every part of a patient getting a transplant is integral to that process. Every department within Life Center is the same way. We're all integral and all working towards the same goal for the same mission, mm-hmm. and I think that's what makes. I think that's what makes our organization so good is that we are all mission-focused. All of us here, everybody within our organization, yeah. really does take on the focus of the mission. And I mean, it's hard to find people like that in in any industry. But you know, we we have a a life-saving mission and. And it's something that everybody here is committed to.
1: Yes. And so another kind of consistent theme that I keep hearing in these interviews is just the cohesiveness and collaborative spirit and support among each of the teams, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what it is like working with your colleagues, your fellow ORS colleagues, and and how does that support what you do every day?
2: Well, with, in terms of working with my colleagues, so with the way that our call schedule works, a lot of the times ORS are by themselves, but we started within our department, we've started more of a collaborative work structure with each other, so we're, we're tag teaming ORS together. We're, we're talking to each other on the phone more than, than we were when I, when I first started you know collaborating thinking about hey what can we do for for this process or what can we do for that you know what, something that we need to improve what do you have going on today when you're on call do you need any help with that we're we're really a well-oiled machine i think and it's giving us an opportunity to not only do the the role of what we're doing in the or with our cannulation and flushing, flushing of the organs but it's also giving Opportunities for people to start to learn. One of my one of our colleagues, Jordan Caldwell, you know, is Mm -hmm. really involved and has been involved with the faculty at UCT for a long time, and he's at this point recovering organs for research independently, and he's working. Amazing!
1: When I first heard that he was pursuing that, I was like, "Wow!" It's
2: absolutely amazing, and and he's uh, he's a first assist with you know the the attending faculty will call him to first assist with them. So that's the confidence that they've they've grown in. Through him doing that and then collaborating with other people that want to do that, it pushes our role even more and more forward. So we're able to help more people in less time than we would otherwise because we don't have to worry about stretching resources thin. We can really, through a team collaborative effort, we can really get a lot lot of work done. So I think that between the ORS team, DC team, FSCs, I mean, we have a great collaborative relationship. We're all, we try to get together and do social things when we can, but even when we don't, you know, I still, I love seeing the DCs in, in my ORs. So I mean, I love catching up with them, talking to them. I love talking to my ORS coworkers. We are like a little family. And I know that's kind of cliche to say, but when you, and I can't remember the word, when you spend as much time as you do with people that, that, that you work with that we do and with the kind of work that we're doing, it's high stress. It's like you said, you know, every second counts. And it's, it's also, you know, critical life-saving work. I mean, you, you just get a kind of relationship with people that you don't in other facets of your life.
1: Right. When you're spending all this time with these people, and it's you know, it's not a like Monday through Friday from eight to five. I mean, you guys are around each other,
2: right? We're around gosh. each other when, yeah, through through the morning time when everybody's tired and a little bit cranky, through <laughs> the middle of the night when everybody's slap happy and we're just like you know making <laughs> stupid jokes with each other, and it's just like, yeah, this is this is where we are. This, this is what we're doing. What we're
1: doing right. All right, let's right. you know, like
2: we got some downtime. Let's go to you know IHOP or yeah. Um, you know, Waffle House or something. Get some, it's, get some breakfast. breakfast, dinner. Is it? Which one is it? You know, but that's just the way that it is.
1: That's good. That's good.
2: Mm-hmm. And it does it. It it promotes that fraternity. I feel like so exactly. Um, you know, and and I I love that aspect of of the work too.
1: Oh, I think that's awesome. Now, does does the role of the ORS like when in Oregon? Is recovered and it's gone through uh, packaging. And that does the ORS facilitate the flyout if it's going somewhere else, or is that another department?
2: So that's usually the DCs. They'll be okay. the ones that will that will s- schedule flights for. And it's actually kind of surprising for a lot of people when they hear that um, when we send kidneys, kidneys fly commercially. They fly.
1: i didn't know that either yeah
2: they fly on on delta american airlines um and this is this is a standard for opios all around the country unless it's quicker for somebody to drive it but you know for the most part it's going to be faster to fly so but then if if we have a uh an organ like a liver they will call and set up make sure that uh, tx jet or some other courier service will be at uh, our local airport that we use most often is uh, Lunken Airport. Right. Um, is at that airport is waiting for for the organ when it when it arrives, or for the team that came to recover the organ. Suppose we had a team from Michigan that came out of town mm-hmm. uh, to to get to to take in, uh, a liver for transplant. They would fly in. Their team would would fly in, and then they would go back to Lunken and, and fly out that way. And in that situation, they would be. Uh, scheduling that, but if it's something that we're if we're doing a local recovery and we're we're sending a plane, you know, they're, they're uh, the DCs are gonna work with the with the recovering center's team to figure out and coordinate how that organ is going to get back to where it needs to go and to a to its new recipient.
1: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What what do you find most challenging about your role?
2: Hmm it's an interesting question. I think that's a really good question because
1: <laughs> Ethan, you have such a positive attitude. And anytime I see you, you're just like super professional, but also very easygoing. But I have to imagine, and 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 just to, you know, people I've talked to in the past, Christine, for instance, and Jen said, you know, probably the more challenging aspect of this is if it's a pediatric patient. That is yes. that is a donor, like you know, which com- I completely understand. And you can also just being here, kind of in the day to day, you can always feel that it gets a little heavier when when we know that it, it it's a donor that has passed away, that was a, a child, you know, right? It just hits a little harder than. So I don't know if it's something like that, or it could be something else. But
2: no, I mean it, it is. It is. Um, I would say that that the uh, the emotional is probably the Hardest aspect of the job, because we do deal with while we're performing a life-saving mission, um, we are also dealing with uh, with death, and and that is yes, yes, and so that is that can be heavy on your heart, and I think that that's also though one of the reasons that it's so good that we have amongst our teams between the FSCs, DCs, and the ORS, we have this cohesiveness, this closeness with each other that, you know, we can debrief with one another and say, right. wow, you know, like that, that case really, that hurt, you know, let's, yeah. let's talk about like, what did you think about that? And being able to share, not just somebody to talk to, but somebody that can empathize with you
1: and really and understand like actually
2: understand what's going on and there's no judgment and we can talk honestly to each other about it. That is uh, that's super important. And I think that's something that that we do again at Life Center that we do really well is that we have staff that that do care about each other like family and we have leadership that cares about us. And I mean, I know that you you've been or you you might not have been. I'm not sure. Are you aware of the Gallia Collaborative? Yes. Yes, they are.
1: I'm glad you mentioned them.
2: Yes, and I mean they they've been made available to us, you know, cuz leadership recognizes that this is heavy work and that we need to be able to speak to people who can help us process these feelings cuz sometimes debriefing with colleagues isn't enough. And so at that point you you need somebody who is a professional who can who's trained really to 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 drill down and and get you to, you know, help you put things in perspective and and Regulate your emotions so that you can continue to do your work and not uh, be, not be in a position where, you know, you feeling down about it or feeling any other negative feelings that, you know, would be harmful to yourself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, again, being a life center, it's, it's been a treat that, you know, we have a leadership team that's aware of those things and is willing well, to support us.
1: No, thank you for saying that. I, I, I agree. I, you know, having, adding Gallia to, to support the staff, I think has been huge. You know, I think during the, the, like when we were in like the throes of the pandemic and like things just took off, it took on a whole other level of heavy and just mm-hmm. emotional stress and and so bringing that that piece into place to just further support everybody, I think has been just it's been amazing. And they've they've oh, been a, a great organization to work with. They really have. Absolutely. Um, so let's say, you know, your your younger self. I mean, you're already young, but you're your younger, younger <laughs> self. <laughs> Since I've known a little guy, but um, <laughs> Ethan and I grew up two doors down from each other. So just yes, my <laughs> someone who's kind of just starting out in their career and this, you know, they're listening and they're like, oh, this sounds, you know, this sounds like a great, interesting opportunity. What would be your advice
2: to that person? My advice to them would be try to get this job as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i i wish i knew about this job when i was 22 years old we have a we have a new ors who just started and i think he is 22 or just turned 23 yeah. <laughs> and i just look at him and i mean he is absolutely fantastic and i just look at him and i'm just like oh to be in your shoes <laughs> you're gonna see and do so many things and yeah. it's just it's it's amazing I, I would tell that person in terms of maybe like what classes they might be wanting to focus in on on, in Mm -hmm. school, either high school or college. Definitely want to take an anatomy class, uh, anatomy and physiology. It's super important to know anatomy. Well, one of the great things about OPOs is that I don't know any OPO that absolutely requires that a person complete a specific degree program in order to be an organ preservationist or an ORS. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of the, the organizations do training within themselves, but you do need to come in with some base knowledge. It's, you can't just walk off the street. So having a background in anatomy, physiology, chemistry would be helpful. Public speaking, because we do work with the public. And I know that you know that through yes. community, and we also do uh, presentations to o r staff, so you have to be able to talk comfortably with multiple levels of individuals, either the lay different folks audiences exactly yes. lay folks in the community or um, the actual o r staff that you're going to be working with during these cases so I mean, I think that anybody who had any kind of biological science background in in college or if you were taking, like I said, you can, we have a a kind of a wide distribution of people in the ORS department. Some are scrub techs, some are MAs, we have paramedics, and then we have people who have four-year degrees. And so it's, or or both. So, you know, a combination of those those different things. So what uh, I hear
1: you saying, Ethan, is that. mm I would not be qualified to be an ORS (laughs) because I don't have a strong understanding of anatomy. I barely passed chemistry in high school. Yeah,
2: wouldn't be the wrong. All good. We can can teach you. You We can teach teach you. (laughs) Really is it? It's like one of the surgeons that we worked with said, he said, you know, you have to eat and sleep, you know, anatomy, you have to be able to look at, well, you know, he was talking with, with, with one of his fellows and he was like, you know, you want to be good at this. And I think where the ORS role is, is evolving to is, but we're going to be, you know, seeing a lot more people signed off to do independent organ recovery versus cysts. And when you're working with these surgeons, you got to know, you can't. You can't be timid. You got to know what you're talking about, where you are and what you're doing. So, so because they expect it
1: to be. Right. 100%. Because I, I, you know, again, having worked here, you know, for a while, just the interactions I have had with surgeons, I can't imagine being in that kind of pressure cooker environment and and having to manage that, like working with the surgeon in that way. I mean, that that's a skill in and above itself. Right. Right.
2: Definitely. I mean, they have a lot of pressure on them in in the surgery and then they distribute it, you know, um, uh, amongst the staff. And so, you know, everybody has their role in the OR and we all have to be on point. There's no room for, for, you know, to not know what you're doing or be kind of, well, maybe I think I think this is where I'm supposed to be or I think this is what I'm supposed to. You got to know your role. And, And it's just that's the way that it works.
1: And own your role.
2: Right. You know, exactly. Exactly.
1: Wow.
2: But I mean, I would, I would highly, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I would highly encourage any, any young person, any person in general listening to this, uh, this is, uh, this role is amazing. You'll see and do things that are amazing. You will have an impact and change people's lives. Like I said, literally every single day I go into work, somebody's life gets impacted positively from what I'm doing. and that is. That's something I always wanted in a job. I wanted a job that allowed me to make an impact that was positive on the world. Because I think, you know, our goal in life is to leave the world a little bit better than what you came into it as. So
1: I I completely agree with you on that. mm -hmm. Completely agree. I think that's a Paddock Hills mindset. (laughs) yes (laughs) 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 now i you know in all seriousness i you know when you first came on board i thought they they hit the jackpot with you because you are one of the most compassionate individuals and you've just always been that way i appreciate Um, that yeah and just just super intelligent and just you know you've always struck me as just you're in like this constant learning mode and and that's important i think for all of us but
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think that's probably
1: what's been great about this this role for you
2: yes i mean you get to learn something new all the time and the the sky is really the limit because transplant you're intersecting so many different disciplines within science that there's always something you can always get on google Google mm. Scholar, and look up research articles and find out what what other people are doing, or look at. I mean, even things you know. It's even in the popular literature publications now, where people are talking about and getting excited about xenotransplantation, and you know, using organs from that have been modified by molecular biologists mm. from other animals for transplant. So, I mean, this is it's it's a like- huge.
1: Is that like the the transplant that occurred a few months ago with the the pig, the yes. heart of the pig? Mm-hmm. So that's yes. what you mean? Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And I mean, in that situation, they didn't just take a heart from any specific pig. They actually they actually had this pig specially bred to have protein channels on it on the cell surfaces within that heart that acted more like a human heart than it did a pig's heart. So I mean, there's a lot of there's just so much to learn and so much to to take in. I think that if you're someone who likes lifelong learning, this is again um, an amazing field uh, with just so much application.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and you know what? You're right. And I, that's another aspect of this that I have enjoyed is that transplant is just constantly evolving and changing Mm -hmm. and i mean when i started you hadn't i hadn't heard anything about like vascular composite allografts like this whole idea of like transplanting the lens and things or Mm -hmm. face transplant i mean those those things are happening i mean they're not happening you know across the board but they are happening and then as you you were talking about it's it's fascinating and the fact that it's going to Continue to evolve and continue to help more people, um, Mm -hmm. just provide a better quality of life. I think I just I I love that about this, Um, and I love that about just healthcare and medicine in general. I think it's just amazing.
2: Right. No, I mean everything is constantly moving forward, and it's a group effort. You know, I mean it's it's no one person or, you know, one team from one specific organization or you know center that's doing it. It's, It's What's great about it is that it proves that when humans work together, that's when we are at our best. When we're absolutely. all working together towards a goal, we're, we are at our best at that point.
1: Absolutely. That's something I
2: 100% believe in.
1: Yeah. And I, I concur with you. I absolutely agree. So I feel like I've learned more from you than I ever did in my ninth grade biology class <laughs> <laughs> in this short time together. I want to thank you for that. <laughs> um, but as we as we as we close out our time here, is is there anything else that you that you want to to talk about or mention?
2: Um, I would say to anybody listening who um, is on the fence about becoming an organ eye or tissue donor, please consider the the gift that you can give is literally life. It is the ability for somebody else to live. So it is extremely important that everybody become registered as a donor 100 percent again when we work together that's when we're at our best and that's making that choice is one of the best like most impactful things a person can do when if if your if your life has ended you can still extend somebody else's life and that's like i mean what's what's more collaboration than that you know
1: right absolutely right I think that's a wonderful way to end. And also, I want to say thank you, Ethan, for you've been just a consistent volunteer with us. Um, We volunteer at a local food pantry here that serves the Hispanic and Latino community. And you've just shown up and I appreciate that. And as well as as well as my colleagues in, in our department, That's just a way for us to continue to work together and build into our community. Right. So, yeah, no, I love it. I think it's great. (laughs) I just want to give you a special shout out for that as well. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So as we close our show today, there are 105,851 men, women, and children in need of life-saving organ transplants. What can you, what can you do to help? Well. As Ethan just talked about, you can register to be a donor uh, at lifepassiton.org when you're going to renew your driver's license or state ID. Also, seek out information, do your research, and just understand what being a donor truly means and how it can impact others in our community. You know, again, be the change you want to see in the world, mm. um, and let's leave this world a better place. Um, yes. You can talk to medical professionals or people who have a connection as either um, a donor family member or a recipient or a living donor because that's how we learn and that's how we grow. So again, you can register at lifepassbond.org. Uh, you can also learn about being a living kidney donor because the vast majority of the people on that wait list are people who need a life-saving kidney transplant. So again. I just want to say thank you all for listening. I want to thank you again, Ethan, for being with me today. This was... Oh, thank
2: you, Andy. I really appreciate it. This was, this was great.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure I'll have you back to chat again soon at some point. <laughs>
2: awesome. I, anytime. I'd love
1: it. Okay, good. All right. So thank you, everyone. And again, just remember to be kind to yourself and to others. Thanks so much and take care.
0: This episode is brought to you by Life LifeSetter. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many, and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to Life for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.